can't remember her exact words, but basically the gist is that you, it's impossible to know everything, right? Yeah. Like this, like, you can't be good at everything. You can't be yeah. good at everything. But I think, I think what's important is that you have to understand how things are made. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Hello, everyone. On this episode, we have Jamie DeHansen, lead designer at Basecamp and uh, fellow happy, South. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Fellow Southeast Asian designer in Chicago. <laughs> yep. I, you know, it's funny. It's the Philippines is considered Southeast Asia, but we're also Pacific Islanders. So it's kind yeah. of a it's kind of a, a double identity, happy. right? We're, we're yeah. a bunch of different things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I consider you guys Southeast Asian. Now, welcome to the show. I have tremendous respect for the company you work for, Basecamp. Uh, you've been there for 13 years working with my entrepreneurial startup heroes. There's, I think, in Chicago, if you talk about startups, you probably can't not say Basecamp or Jason Fried or David Heinemann Hansen from the, both right. the founders. So it's I've, funny. Uh, it's, is it really a startup? I mean, no, it's just, I, I know you're saying, but it, it's funny because it's the company itself has been around for a while. So, yeah, well, uh, a tech company, we'll call it a, a tech okay, SaaS yeah. company. But it's, it's funny because the other day I was on a call and this person was saying that she was going to a startup, but they were raising their series E and like at the point, are you sure it's a startup? That's, right, right, <laughs> that's right. not a startup to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's it's all relative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but I think it's I think startup is like one of those terms where it's a non-traditional company, perhaps. Right. One that that can scale disconnected to employees, maybe like right. 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 And and to that point, you guys have over a hundred thousand customers in various industries. So Basecamp, I'll let Jamie explain the company and the product. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so at Basecamp, we're known as a project management software, which is Basecamp. But we also have an email service that is—it's not an email client; it's actually a service. It's called Hey, that was just released last year. And previously, you may have if you're older, you might have known the company as 37 Signals, which was a totally different thing when it first started, which was like a, it was like a web uh, design company. Were you there when it was still a web design company? I was tangentially there. I used to work with one of the founders, Ernest Kim, who is an awesome designer. He's at Nike now, but he started the company with Jason Fried and Carlos Segura, who is a mm. very well-known graphic designer in Chicago. And they started 30 some signals up. So Ernest, I used to work with Ernest at a company called Organic, which was a digital web agency back in the dot-com era. And he, he was my creative director in the Chicago office. And he left to start 37 signals with Jason. So that's how I know Jason through that connection. Got it. And and before that, you you worked at Crate and Barrel. Right? Yep, I was at Crate and Barrel for eight or nine years, and we 
they didn't have any web presence at all that, you know, there are, for those of you on the call who don't, or who are listening to this podcast, Crate and Barrel is a home furnishings company, kind of like, sort of like an upscale Ikea, I would say. I don't know. How would you describe Crate and Barrel? Yeah, yeah. It is expensive uh, upscale Ikea. You, you, you're right on the money yeah, there. But so they were the first company. Actually, this is kind of interesting. They're a Chicago founded company. And they were the first company to bring Scandinavian design to America. Oh, wow. Yeah. In the 60s. Again, a small, small business, just a couple, uh, husband and wife started it. Anyway, long story short, they did huge business with catalog. So that was the main thing. And a lot of companies did in the 90s, right? Just it was all catalogs. I remember getting Crate and Barrel catalogs, and catalogs. Uh, along with like Banana Republic or any, right, any right, of right. those catalogs. Yeah, it's yeah. a big business and then, back then. And then you, you know, in the middle for the young people listening to this. Like paper middle, catalogs, paper catalogs. Paper catalogs. And in the middle, there was actually an order form that you would like, you'd have to look up the, the, the product you wanted and you'd write the code underneath the picture and the description and then you'd say the quantity, I want one of these or 12 of these dishes or something. And you'd total up the numbers and then you'd mail it in or call the 800 number, but you could mail in this cat, uh, the order form and then wait uh, for the product to get shipped to you. So what happened was obviously the internet happened and they didn't know what they were doing. So I was at, at Organic and a couple people that I knew from organic moved to Crate and Barrel to, to kind of start up the the web for the dot com, you know, the crateandbarrel.com business. And I joined them. And so I got in on the ground floor there and, and helped uh, Crate and Barrel launch their website. Thank you. Yeah. And what, what do you do currently at, at uh, Basecamp? Right now I'm, I'm leading the mobile design stuff. So the, the apps, both Android and iOS apps for Basecamp and Hey. Yeah. You've been there so long for, you know, Basecamp now has has Basecamp, the, the, the project management tool and Hey, but in the history of Basecamp, I know that there are many other products like HiRise, right. the CRM, Sortfolio, right. like I, I just kind of yeah. cursing a lot of knowledge of those, but did you work on any of those other projects, products? Yeah, I, I worked on, well, first of all, when I first joined 37 Signals, I joined at, in a marketing capacity. So I was just working with Jason on the marketing sites, which we didn't really have great sites, you know, for 37 Signals and for the, for the various apps, which were Basecamp, Rise, which was a CRM tool, Backpack, which was sort of like a personal notes type thing and campfire, which was a group chat, much like Slack. And it's kind of funny. I say that because it came before Slack, but everybody <laughs> knows Slack. So it's sort of like, oh, campfire is kind of like a Slack thing. Right. Um, so at the time, the company was very small, you know, like just a few designers and programmers. And when you say a few, what do you mean? Maybe like four designers. Wow, that's pretty small. And now, now to to give maybe the audience perspective, how big is Basecamp right now? Right now, we're about I want to say thirty six people. Yeah. 
So we're still pretty small, but the the thing is, I, I've been listening to some of your the podcasts from the previous weeks, and what's interesting is there's a few people like the last one, the designer had like technical knowledge, and she was yeah, Caitlin HTML and CSS yep. and stuff like that. So at Basecamp, that's all the designers are really hands on like that. There's not really any mocking up stuff and passing it off to a programmer to create like we're actually like doing the designs right if you if you design it you better code up (laughs) yeah no i mean like it's it's i think it's really more like it may not be like final ship ready code but what it is it kind of shortcuts a lot of steps because Mm -hmm. you can spend a lot of time you know mocking something up in figma or one of these prototyping tools, but it's not real, you know, it's, it's kind of like smoke and mirrors. It's sort of real, but not really. No, it's so, not real. It's a, it's a picture. Right. Right. So it's sort of like, okay, well, how does it, you know, the, the, there was a, the 37 signals got popular because of, they would write about things, you know, their philosophies about stuff. And there was a, a book that they came out with called getting real. And a lot of it was sort of that Jason and David wrote about, which was sort of like, okay, if if you want to create a design, you're not really going to know. It's all like theoretical, right? Mm-hmm. If, especially if you're looking at a Photoshop mock-up or even not like now, you could say Figma. If you're looking at a Figma prototype or something, yeah, it, it looks good and you can kind of see things moving, but but how is it really, is it, really going to work and the only way to do that is to just make it make it yeah yeah in my older days when i when i became started becoming a designer but just just good enough and i i found it faster to yeah it would take time right to do it in, and back then only photoshop existed let's be real <laughs> you know what I mean? so, right right right, right. Exactly. so like to take it from the photoshop mock-up to html like once i started getting good design principles and i found it I was okay. Just tried to design straight in HTML. Right. And that was right. that was okay for me to do. And and like you said, it shortcutted everything, and, and it and I could really try the interactions, and it and it's more real. Right. Right. And and it's not like you don't have to do it twice or three times. You're right. Right. You know if I mean? you can design it straight in code, I don't have to. I, I shortcut it, and it saves an extra step. Right. Yeah. It's more and practical. some of the stuff. So some of the stuff that I do now, obviously I can't like, you know, write a Swift thing mm-hmm. completely or Kotlin, which is Android, but I can get in there and I I kind of understand what's happening, you know, and yeah. I think that's important in our jobs. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's a prerequisite. Like, and I, I hope not everybody listening to this thinks, oh, every design, you know, you have to understand how to build, get, you know, all this technical stuff. I don't think so. Like the, that's design is design, right? Like my, yeah. first of all, I just want to say I'm a formally trained graphic designer with a print background. So I totally, be, I totally believe that it's a different skill, you know, like totally. design is about design. And there's a lot of web stuff out there that I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, sort of in a curmudgeon stage now but there's so many frameworks out there that people can just like use whatever 
and they're immediately they're like oh this is great design and they're just sort of like reusing things that that are that's sort of off the shelf sort of cookie cutter yeah. you know i i think one example is like those you know blobby illustrations right and the ones that are kind of like they're like people but they look kind of like yellow submarine you know like the yeah yeah people that's so it's, trendy right now yeah there's like a there's like trends that people follow and that's sort of like oh i'll drop in this uh clip art of you know people people next to a plant like with their phone and it'll look cool you know i pick these colors so i i feel like design is something that is a total uh, different skill and i totally agree with the the last last or this week's episode where she was saying that can't remember her exact words but basically the gist is that you it's impossible to know everything right yeah like, this like you can't be good at everything you can't be yeah. good at everything but i think i think what's important is that you have to understand how things are made and i think that's it's i look at design as kind of like our architecture in the same way it's sort of like there's the design side of architecture and then there's the structural side and it's not like you take a you know well-known architect like rem Koolhaas or you know frank gary or any of these people and they do great designs but they're not they're also not in there like <laughs> you know with that specifying right. all the different measurements right. and everything like that but they're you know they're kind of understand okay this is possible you know right right yeah right and i think there's a lot of value in understanding you know to use that that architecture analogy the materials you use right yeah right so understanding the capability like is i think is very valuable to understand what frameworks the engineers are working with because certain frameworks come with certain built-in components and you're either creating more work or eliminating work exactly so, exactly so if you're aware i'm like oh there's already a component that sort of does what i need to do and if they can drop that in it's considered done versus oh if i make this from scratch they're gonna have to like make their own custom component and right 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 you know and if you're 37 signals and with 38 people that may not be practical but if you're a different company series e with you know a thousand right. designers yeah. sure go sure. nuts <laughs> yeah yeah no, that's a, that's a good point like we you know Basecamp is kind of known for creating frameworks where D david made ruby on rails david heinermeyer hansen uh, made ruby on rails and we we are about sort of working smart that way and it's kind of interesting the way our apps are set up where there there's a they're hybrid you know and i, I know that a lot of people will frown at that idea but the technology is is advanced in such a way that there's screens that we can make that look that look and feel native but they're actually web views and the advantage of that is exactly what you said which was we have a small team and we have an, we have an app and we want to create a feature and it it's has to live on the web and it has to live on a device on a on a phone or a tablet right and so there's one source of truth and it'll work everywhere right away and then we layer on 
our own technology that we've built that can layer on top of that web view to enhance it for mobile, right? So something that might be like a panel that opens up on a web view might be a native thing, native component. If you press it, a native component opens up on the iPhone or on Android. So, but it's all driven from the same technology and this source code. Right. And some of it shares that same common web view component. And I think that's smart and, and very practical. You know, they, I think with big tech companies that have raised lots of money, right? It's, it's very normal to have an iOS, native iOS team and a native Android team right? and, and a web team. So like, in fact, I would put my money on, you know, just the mobile team at say Facebook is probably bigger than your whole company, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and that's just how it is. But I think part of why I have wanted to have you on the show is, you know, you, you guys are running a pretty well-known, very used product, but you're running it on a very, very lean team, which, right. which I admire. I, I like the leanness. And, and I know David Hennemeyer Hansen likes to say, like, it's not just the revenue that that metric that he cares about, it's, it's revenue per employee. And I right. think your, your, your numbers in, in that respect is, yeah, is, is good. There are, there are some things that are changing, which is, you know, the other thing too, is I also want to say that, um, you know, I've worked in this startup world before Crate and Barrel, I was working at, first of all, small, the, you know, big agencies, small agencies that did work for clients, right? And you you know this firsthand. You're working like crazy hours, and you know <laughs> you're young. Well, first of all, when when I was doing this, I was young, <laughs> so I didn't really mind. But it was a lot of hours, and you're building these things and or designing things, and you're just really tired all the time, and burnt out and kind of like what's on onto the next thing. So there is a, so there is some extent to when the company is so lean, you know, that could happen too, right? Like, right. You don't have enough resources. Yeah. Right. So there's a balance and I think we're recognizing that, okay, maybe, maybe we need need to add a little bit of. Maybe it's a little bit too lean, too lean. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Might be too lean. Yeah. I once sat into in a talk, like Instagram was famous for reaching however many double digit millions of users with like a very small team, right? It was like 11 or so people, right? Okay. And and everybody likes to point that out of, well, look at what Instagram was able to do, right? Like, And it's almost like that Tony Stark was able, Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. And and he he had his own perspective. He's like, you know, we, we're just too dumb and stupid. Like if he could do it again, he would have doubled the team much faster, but they were just, you know, they didn't know what they didn't know and, and things were moving fast and, and everybody kind of just did it and sucked right. it up. But but he, he could have done it again. He would have probably hired sooner or faster rather than suffer. <laughs> right. But then there's also like, you know, I think that's Instagram. That's the story that we we know about. Or what's WhatsApp is another example of one of those companies that was like five people, and then all of a sudden it's like the most used chat app, and 
they sold to Facebook and stuff, stuff like that. And those are the stories we hear about, but I'm sure there's tons of uh, companies that are just lean and created something and it just never took off and they just didn't have to grow. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think, you know, part of why I I wanted to have you on here is, you know, I, I do interview maybe some of the leanings of the the podcast has been, yeah, big companies like Netflix and YouTube. And, and I don't want, and maybe I think it's, maybe it's hard to relate because those are really, really big companies. So if you're a designer, not at those type of companies, like it's, and that's not the norm, right? Like that's right. Yeah. If anything, that's not the norm because those are unicorn companies. So having a company like Basecamp where, Hey, you're in a team of four designers. That's, that's maybe more normal. Actually, I just mentored a Thai designer who she, she was like, this company was going to, they've been around for a while, but it's all engineers. And they finally realized UX is important and they were going to hire sure. a UX designer for the first time. And she needed coaching and like, Oh, it's like, how do I, you know, deal with this? You know, I've never right, been right. in a situation where there's no, no other no designer. designers. Yeah. So I've been in that situation. Before. Right. Right. It's really hard. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So actually something like that might be worthy of, of chatting yeah, about today. It's like, if you're sure. the only designer, what, what do you do and how do you work with people? Well, I think, so looking back in my career, so when I first started out, I was at a company that was mo- mainly designers, right? Because we were an agency, a local agency in Chicago called Closer Look Creative. And they're still around, but we would do, you know, brochures. And at the time I was doing very simple websites and intranet type things, but I was a designer. I wasn't a programmer or anything like that. In fact, there were no programmers at this, at this company. And they just, you know, they just started hiring some programmers, but it was really, really a design shop. And so that was all I knew, right? It was like, okay, designers, these are, these are my people. They, we can talk about typography. We can talk about you know, what papers these printed things should be. And then when digital, when it started to skew digital, right? That's when it started to get really interesting because it was like, okay, all of a sudden, yeah, design's important, but we have this technology. We have people that understand servers and we have information architects and we have project managers and we have all this other stuff. You know, there's all these other departments, right? And then you, then from there, like at Organic, that is a big shop with a lot of different departments. And then from there, I went to a startup, which was in the same situation as you just spoke about, where I was like the only designer there. And everybody was kind of like, well, here's a, here's a PC. And I was like, what? I've never used a Windows <laughs> machine before. Blasphemy. Yeah. And it, like a lot of it was like me trying to figure out how to use Windows, which was kind of funny. And I was, it was totally bizarre. And it, it was an interesting time for me because, again, being the only designer, I had to always sort of explain my role to people. And I think that's probably the hardest situation that you're in if you're the only designer to keep, to, to advocate for yourself 
which is definitely a, a skill that everyone should learn how to do in life. But when you're trying to do that to a lot of programmers and to business people and to marketing people who aren't really designers, they're, they're marketers, right? And you're doing everything from the marketing, the pro, you know, the interface design, the marketing design, print design, you know, you're kind of doing all the, all the work. It's fun, but it's also tough to keep, to be your own advocate and to keep pushing things um, forward. How are, how are some ways you, you advocate or design or communicate with, with different types of stakeholders? I would say that, you know, everybody's going to have an opinion, right? That's, that's the, the greatest misunderstanding of designers because everybody thinks that they understand that they can design and everybody thinks it's sort of like, Oh, just make it like this. Right. Oh, this this company is like this. Just make it like that. And as a designer, you're kind of like, okay, well, first you we have to ask why, why, why do we want to do this? And I think, I think that's the key to to slow the process down. If you're in there and and there's a lot of other people that are like, okay, I understand visual stuff. This is I I totally know what I want, and this is what I want. And it's up to us to sort of to, to pause the process and to first ask those questions like, okay, what is it really? You know, like, yes, I know you want it to look like Google or, or whatever, but why, 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 what do you like about this? Or what, why do you see yourself? Why do you see the company at the same level? And maybe you know, and asking those questions first before, before seeing things. Right. Yeah. And being very so. specific, right. Too. When, when you, a lot of times people ask, like, well, just show me stuff you like, but being very specific, like, why, what do you like about this? And exactly. why, when, why do you like it? And to your point, well, why do you want to be like them? And I just remember on conversations, I'm having flashbacks of having to question like, oh, okay, well, so then it's like, just make it like Stripe or whatever it is, whatever it's like. So how are you going to be different? Like, okay, you're another firm doing what right. they do and exactly. you're going to do exactly. You're just a knockoff company. That's a, that's exactly, that's, yeah. I think that's the, the thing. It's sort of like, it's easy for people, especially now, you know, kind of to reference the, the framework thing. And I think it's easier to talk about marketing because everything is sort of out there. You know, there's definitely trend, trends that people go through. And you can tell these companies, they're just sort of like, oh, we want to be like Stripe, or we want to be like X company. And let's just use their website with the, the same like scrolling tricks and the same illustration style. And then all of a sudden, there's no differentiation, right? It all starts to look the same. And I think it's up to designers, not just in marketing, but in all levels of visual, the visual medium to ask those questions, right? Because that's, that's what we're there for. It's not just to, to execute the work and to do what other people tell us to do. It's really to ask, okay, what, what does this mean? Or how do you, 
what is this company about? What are we about? And um, coming up with with something together with with those people too. I think letting people have a little bit of ownership goes a long way as well, especially if it's if you're in a small company and you're working directly with the owner to have the owner involved in that. So the owner might have some preconceived notion of what she or he would like a logo to be or a website to be. And if you pause the process and you start to ask, ask, okay, what, why is it like that? Or maybe it's like this and, and you work with them and you become, and it becomes a collaborative um, process with the owner. I think that there's, it's easier to do, to have buy-in, right. And to, to, to take that person along with your vision. And that's, that's probably how I would do it if I was a solo designer. Yeah. Uh, we touched on trends and I want to say, I would say that Basecamp has always never been a trend follower, if anything, trend setter. Many years ago, I remember, you know, when, when websites were very sparse, if they still are, but like clean, sparse, very minimal, lots of white space and short. I think you guys did something with like the, the homepage was like, big nice photo of of a client right right if you remember that and then yeah like and it was long like really long and lots of copy not not actually you know went the opposite where right yeah and, and then then people started copying you guys and then then all right. of a sudden lots of websites had had big shots of their customers with long right. copy i was actually that that was one of the ideas that i had that was one of the things that i work was working on oh wow i yeah. met the guy who came up with this no <laughs> oh, that that's Cool. Bucket list. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, what, the, what that came, came out of was sort of, I think, I think what it was, was a lot of people had logos, right? And it was sort of, and they still do, right? Even we do. Like if you go to our websites, you'll see the logos. These are the companies that use it. But the theory that I had was like all this software, and this was, I don't know, do you remember how many years ago this was? This must have been like at least seven years ago. Yeah, it was, it it was, was like seven ago. years ago, seven, eight years ago. Yeah, maybe even um, more. <laughs> could, could have been more. And the idea was like software is so technical, right? Like I think at the time, the landscape was screenshots and logos, right? You would see just a screenshot of what the app looked like. and logos of the uh, customers and i was sort of thinking and coming from crate and barrel where it was more lifestyle and this is probably a little bit from my experience at crate and barrel where to see just like a piece of furniture on white yeah it looks good right but then when you see it in a room setting right it kind of comes alive right and I think my theory was that if we show our customers, normal people, these weren't like models or anything, they were real customers. And I, we had asked, okay, would you be willing to, to, for me to come over and take a photo and maybe we can put you on the website and get, you know, get a quote from you. And it was sort of like, okay, let's like humanize this application, this like 
project management application. Let's make it feel like it's for people, you know? And yeah, your corporations or yeah, big logos. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time it, it, it worked really well. And I think it was because it was so different than everything else out there. Obviously now things have changed and I can't comment on the marketing because I'm not really involved anymore, but you know, we're, that's the other thing I like about Basecamp is we're not wedded to just one direction all the time. It's sort of like, okay, we can question some of these ideas, right? And yeah. come up with something new. But yeah. at the time it was, it was different. And I yeah. appreciate you uh, noticing that. Uh, well, I'm not embarrassed to say I was a big uh, Basecamp fanboy and Jason Fried <laughs> fanboy. Oh, okay. so, so, so I kept tabs on you, on you, you guys. So it, yeah, you touched on a subject when we were, when we met, a while ago that which resonated with me you know base camp is really practical and pragmatic when it comes to designs and, and you made a comment like well you know one of the inner old interviews where you know this this designer who worked at apple steve had commented on his design like just the color preference of right, his design right. so then he spent like weeks or months toiling right. with different blue combinations yeah. right yeah. and it's just like you, you know you're like that that would never happen at base camp because it's just that's maybe jason would not he wouldn't even you know even if he commented like you wouldn't do that <laughs> well i think i think it's really more like what what matters right is it is it the color the color and you know First of all, I'm not going to criticize Apple and the designer. <laughs> I think his name is Ke- Kevin. Kevin, right? yeah. He's obviously worked on great stuff, and I'm not going to say that's uh, bad. Bad, right? At all. Right. It's but but at Basecamp, the what we would do is it's it's more about like getting something out there, right, and making it making it real like instead of spending so there's there's we we work in these uh, six week cycles so every six weeks we have a new slate of projects that we're working on right and of course when you have six weeks sometimes that last week everything is kind of rushing to get done right because you kind of fill up the space no matter what. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're kind of held up on a lot of different things. And the worst things to be held up on are like UI or UX decisions, right? At the last minute, you want to get that stuff out of the way and make sure that you're, you feel confident about the direction rather than two days before launching it. You're still kind of wondering okay is this button the right place is it (laughs) you know and i think jason has a gives us a lot of freedom to just make a call and just say okay this is what it needs to be unless somebody is like unless he is really opposed to it but if but it's uh, you know the designers have a lot of power at Basecamp, where we can kind of just make the call and everybody trusts that it's the right call and everybody can have an opinion, you know, like, oh, I, I don't know if this is going to work and I don't know if that's going to work. 
And certainly there's things that have launched that I'm like, ah, I'm not really into that. Is that going to work? And then we launch it and people use it and they rave about it. And I'm just, and there's some stuff I'm like, yeah, of course, that's, it was a good idea. And then some stuff I'm like, wow, I can't believe they really like, like that, you know? But the, the point is, the point being is that it's better to get something out there and then you can improve it, right? It's not like it's out there and it's, you can never touch it again. Like this right. is, this is uh, tech, you know, things that, this is the web and this is uh, digital design and you can change things right after the fact. And I think, I think in a situation, so just going back to an agency situation, and I know that you've been in the same, same scenario where you're working on something and you just kind of have to let it go, right? Like you just build it and then here it is, you know, yeah, and yeah. you can't really improve it. And it's sort of like, okay, this, this was all of our best hunches and our best guesses of what would work. And here it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was sitting in a, a show and tell session today where we, we designed some stuff for the best, the, the client. And we, we had a few directions, a few mock-ups and some of it to me was like really great. And, and I think the client went with the most mediocre version. Right, it was right, like, really? Yeah. You, you like that one of they all the things? Do. They and always it's do. like, yeah. exactly. And to, to your point, you know, in spending a lot of time, you can't tell what people will like and, the funny thing about maybe for some people, the thing I'm most known about was something I spent so little time on. So I, one, one claim to fame I had was like, I mashed together Pinterest and Instagram. So if you Google Pinstagram, basically it was like, Oh, that's know, you. That was me. But it was over a weekend. Like I've, I've designed and built products before that have taken much longer and they kind of fall flat. Right. And right. then, you know, the joke was at the time was, Oh, well, if, if Instagram was a billion dollars and Pinterest was $500 million, if I mash the two, I'll get a $1.5 billion <laughs> yeah. dollar right, right. company. That's funny. And, yeah. and I, I, we, over the weekend, basically I put Instagram images in a Pinterest layout on the web at the time, mm. Instagram was mobile only. Like if right. you went to their website, it just says, oh, download, yeah. download the app, right? right, they, right they, right. they just wanted to concentrate all their energy into into having a strong app and there was no mobile, no web. And me being a, you know, I sit in front of a computer all the time, right? I, I don't go to my mobile phone to watch, you know, I was like, I want to right. Instagram. And then at the time, Pinterest was like, oh, I can see a lot of pictures at once. I wish Instagram was like this. Right. And they had an API. So my buddy and I hacked it over the weekend. And That's awesome. to that, to this day, this is still like the thing I'm, kind of most known about, you know, and, and sites have written about it and people used oh, that's, it. That's cool. I mean, that's uh, filling a need, right? Yeah. But to your point is like, I didn't obsess over anything. It was, it was like a two day project right? and, and it just moved fast. Uh, but then there's tons of stuff that I've spent months and years and they kind of fall flat. So you yeah, never it's, know. <laughs> it's uh irony of making things right yeah like, um yeah the stuff that i didn't think anything was gonna like okay it's a neat little tool and it's like really really <laughs> you should sell that to paypal then you know um <laughs> actually well you know they've since many years ago 
change the APIs and and all oh, right, right, right. Yeah. This is how companies do it, right? Like in the beginning, they need they need users, they're trying to grow, so they really open up the API. Right. And, then, and then they start getting strict about it. And then, right. then it became can't do useless. Certain things, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah. So we actually the, the funny thing is this is a missed opportunity, was somebody wanted to acquire it within two weeks. Acquire and, uh, your site? Yeah, yeah. Like a, a two-day project. And we should have just said yes. <laughs> but yeah, because <laughs> The you ROI would have been no, awesome. Yeah. You, like, you had no like intellectual property really because it, it was their Instagram's content and yeah, the Pinterest yeah. layout or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It had no longevity, but but we were young. We didn't know it back then and, and we yelled off and 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 then you know, people still used it. And then what we did was we turned it into a, a social media monitoring tool for for instagram we, we mm. didn't we, get, we got some clients to pay actually because at the time there was nothing much out there to to monitor instagram and right. this was a much easier way to to monitor yeah, you in, see instagram a, you see more stuff in yeah larger real estate right larger surface right. area yeah yeah but a designer is not a business person and no. at the time, I didn't have the the marketing skills and the sales skills to to really grow it beyond what I grew it. So it, very it very did. few designers are <laughs> business people, and um, I would yeah. say that that's one of those unicorn things that yeah. we've talked about, which is okay. Yeah. Designer should know how to code, be good at business, and you can't you know, be good at all. That you find a partner, and you right. But right, right, right. there was a company I've since made a friend who she she basically worked for a startup that had a very similar product, but they also monitored other other sources. And she was a really good salesperson and they were able to crush it. And, you know, one, they they made the price pretty high and they sold up market and 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 two, they they were really, you know, it was very sales led and they were able to get like millions in sales. Wow. And and I was like, you know thousands a year not not millions like you know like four digit because i i didn't i sucked at sales then <laughs> i didn't know how to sell like you know i didn't i didn't really convey the value well right oh, so people didn't I'm, perceive let me just say you know as a designer i mean i'm sure many people out there are very good you know there's a lot of independent designers and a lot of small business owners who are designers i am horrible at sales and value i'm really bad too at like pricing my work and you know when i did when i used to do freelance stuff i would be like well i guess three hundred dollars it's like nothing right and 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 just even the way you said it right <laughs> it just didn't feel kind yeah. of i guess three hundred dollars yeah it's uh that's why i'm yeah. working at a company and uh, <laughs> Oh, but, but I did, but the reason why, so I was thinking about this, you know, for our talk today and I was wondering like, okay, how did I end up at this company? Like what is, what's meaningful to me? And I think coming out of college as a graphic designer and fortunate enough too, that the landscape was skewing towards web, right? Like the web didn't exist really when i was in college it did i mean it did but it was kind of like kind of sketchy right no companies had uh, websites really and so really i was designer and i was 
kind of like, okay, I don't really know what to do. I'm going to do posters and brochures and hopefully I can do record, record covers. Cause I love music or skate skateboard stuff or something, you know, like I'm going to try to make this happen. And then the web happened and all of a sudden I'm finding myself in a career that I can be like a tinkerer and do some tech tech stuff, but also visual stuff with my design background. And when I was just starting out, like, like we talked about earlier, I was at these agencies and you're working like crazy hours for clients that don't really care that pick, that pick the mediocre thing. Like you spend all your time, the one that you want them to pick and they never pick that one. You're spending 12 hours, 15 hours a day, you know, fine tuning it or whatever. And, but what was important to me back then was to get experience and to, to get workout, right. To, to get, to just create stuff. And then I started to think, wow, I'm like releasing this stuff and I'm never able to revisit it, right? Like it's just out there. I could have made it better. Or what would happen if I could stick with this company and do stuff? And, you know, we had some companies on retainer, but it was, you know, the projects were really long and you get burnt out on, on some of these things. And so when the crate and barrel opportunity came up, I was really fortunate to that it came up and, and again, fortunate that I, that I landed there because then it allowed me to really get to know the company work in-house for a company that wasn't a tech company. This, this was really interesting too, because everybody there worked normal hours. So it was sort of like you get in at nine o'clock and you leave at five and then you don't even have to worry about it really. And and it was incredible. And it was a design focused company. You know, they're, they held design in a high, uh, highly regarded go. place. So, but what happened was as I moved up, as so many designers do in their careers, they move up and they start to manage people and they're not really designing anymore, right? They're just becoming managers and all of a sudden you're kind of in meetings and you're talking about design, but you're not really designing and you're reviewing things. And yeah. for the audience who are listening, I was like, I'm doing the thumbs pointing at myself. Yeah. That's all I do now. I don't, don't design anymore. Yeah. Right. So I was sort of like wondering, okay, is this all there is? Like, is this sort of the, the path that people take is you kind of move up into a position where you thought you would be calling the shots. And then all of a sudden you're powerless to do the work that you enjoy. So then I got back in touch with Jason Freed and Basecamp being a, or 37 Signals being a smaller company. And I was able to, to get my hands dirty again and to, to get in there and design and also have the power to, to call the shots as well. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, you know, at least for me. It's a good lead in. I, my one other question I wanted to bring up is 
you know, people, a lot of people have awesome, tremendous respect for 37 signals and base camp. How, what do you folks look for when looking for a designer? If a designer is interested in working at base camp, what are you looking for and what's the best way to get in there? Right. I think, I think the big thing is for someone to just be excited about improving things, you know, and sort of like excited about the possibilities or what could be mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, obviously it's easy to say, okay, we want someone to have great aesthetics and understanding of code. Cause that's the, that's how our designers are. We kind of understand HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And in my case, some stuff with Swift, Swift. and Kotlin and getting in there in those IDs. So yeah, that, that base stuff is fine, but also beyond that is sort of, okay, what, what are you inspired by and what, what do you want to change and what do you want to make better? You know, and we're always looking to, to improve and it's not like, you know, there's tons of stuff on Basecamp that people are probably like, oh, it's, it's an incredible app. And there's stuff that I look at and I'm like, oh, this, I run into this all the time. I want to make it better. You know, we can make it better. And just hearing, I think for anybody, and this is just any job, I think don't be afraid to say how something can be improved. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to someone at Apple, this was many years ago. And I was like, you know, this is, this is the last time I'm probably going to talk to someone at Apple. So I might as well just say what I, what I feel. And I was like, what, your site. And at the time their site was just, it was like the website. And then you go to another site for the store. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, why don't you, why, why don't you just like blend the two? Like, why is it a separate thing? You're looking at this beautiful product stuff. Why aren't you just like, able to buy it right there. And it's funny because now that's what they do. Anybody could have said that, you know, I'm sure they right. were thinking it too, but, but don't be afraid to, to say that because if, if you say it and, and someone that's working there is thinking the same thing, then they'll be validated. validated. Right. They have the ammo of, Hey, a customer says that it's not just, and that yeah. sounds or a way perspective better. or a perspective yeah. higher, right? Yeah. Like if you wanted to work there. Yeah. Um, and you're interviewing, you know, I think just, just that it's not criticism. It's sort of like, Hey, this is the perspective I, I bring. And this is what I, what I want to improve. And we, we would do the same at Basecamp. Like if someone's like, well, why are the to-do lists like this? Like, yeah. I know it works, but do you ever think about doing it this way? Or do you ever yeah. think about that? So, yeah. Uh, it's it's a great interview tip of you know you're essentially doing the job before you're even hired you're, right, you're trying right. to improve the product even versus like oh i need to get the job first people always say oh it's a catch-22 i can't well no you can have an opinion on the product and right during right. your interview process like this is what i would do boom 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 boom. right and just and i think a lot of people i think you know i was guilty of this too early in my career a lot of people when you're, when you're interviewing, you just automatically say, okay, I'm there for the interview. So I must've done something to get their attention. So obviously they see my potential and 
that's all I need to do. I just in a passive way, but I think it's important to, to keep, you know, showing your passion about things and to keep saying, Oh, you know, like, this is what I can like what I can bring and not in like a egotistical or arrogant way, but just, you know, like in an excited way, like I want to improve this or I want to help. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of a letter I think Leonardo da Vinci wrote where he was writing to a, a leader of like maybe a city state or something. Oh, maybe I think you, I remember hearing this. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's Leonardo da Vinci. Maybe he was still young and people didn't know him, but he was essentially pitching like, Oh, these are the fortifications and the weaponry and stuff I could build for you. These are the bridges. I have bridge building skills or, you know, weapons to defend your, your, your city. And Again, it's the difference between here's my work in the past versus, hey, here's what you guys could be doing. You could right, be doing right. you can do this and that to protect you yourself. And, and here's my skills and I could offer that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's Leonardo. Like, if he had to do that, you know, like, what, yeah. no, how I mean, much like more? A, you know, even like if you, ex if you think about your own experience with, say, if you had to hire somebody to build an addition on your house or to, to imp do some improvements on your, you know, in the kitchen or whatever you want, like some people would approach it and say, this is exactly what I want and do it. Right. But I would be more impressed if, if the person that you were interviewing or the company that you were interviewing was like, well, we can hear your, your idea but then here's another idea what do you think about this and it's always comforting when you see that they're thinking about a different way and they you know and it's because you know that okay they care about this project like they're just not like okay what we'll do whatever you want and we'll just get in there do it and then leave but they want to also improve it themselves and I would always pick, you know, we had an, some work done in our house and I would always pick someone that had had an idea that I didn't have that, that they could bring to the table. So, right. and, and they do this for a profession, so they see a lot. And it's right. Yeah. That's the other thing too. You know, you're hiring an expert. Yeah. I have ideas and, and I think this goes back to just being a designer, you know, and knowing how, annoyed i am when someone's like <laughs> hey do it like this you know? yeah yeah so. yeah yeah what is it sometimes you know i i, I joke that i'm a, a voice to photoshop interface <laughs> right right exactly yeah move, move, move this make make it pop change the color blue change change it to a brighter blue or whatever right right how has being asian or filipino influenced you as a designer or affected you as a designer you know, do you see, I don't know, like my, my experience was I, I didn't see many people like me right, in the industry in the early days. Now it's a little more common. Right. You know, it's interesting. I, I was always lucky that except in very, well, I'm trying to think back now, maybe at Crate and Barrel, I was, first of all, at Crate and Barrel, I was like the minority in many ways, I was a man, a man 
which is majority women in the design department. And I was a person of color, which, you know, it's not a big deal, but it definitely is kind of, you know, a little bit strange, I guess, to be the sole, sole person. Yeah. Uh, But, but I was fortunate that in a lot of the other places I was at, I don't know what it is, but in Chicago, it's pretty common that there's a lot of Asian American designers out there. Like, and so at all the places that I've worked at, I've had friends that were Asian American, but how has it influenced me? I guess, I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that question. How has it influenced you? Maybe I should turn it back to you being a, of Thai American heritage. Well, Thai Thai people, you don't see many Thai people in tech, right? I think and Thai people usually open, you know, Thai restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be stereotypical. No, no. But but you know, but first of all, vi- visually Thai culture is visually like you know, the gold and the the bright colors, right? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. And the patterns and the illustrations, beautiful art, right? Yeah. Like the, the paintings, the religious paintings. Yeah. And I think Phil- Philippines is the same way. Like, I think, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe this is like osmosis or something, but, you know, F- Philippines is very colorful culture. You know, we have the jeepneys, like, Thai has a similar mode of transportation, I think, right? Yeah, like yeah. these like tricked out old cars that are yep. painted and they're like oh, the almost most, very gaudy. <laughs> yeah, gaudy. By, by American standards. Right. But in the Philippines, these are like, they're called jeepneys and they're like old World War II, but like bus things. And they're just like tricked out with like, paint you know like pinstriping and they all have like cool letters on there and it's it's a colorful design driven culture i think uh, art culture art. I, I think art factors in a lot um i've had people comment you know friends who've went went to thailand and and commented oh thai architecture is really nice compared to like for example like california which is like when when I went to Silicon Valley, you know, it's oh, like, all like oh, it's like ranches, fifty ranches, strip malls, really, right, right. you know, like business, small business plazas. So the architecture is not very interesting at all. And somebody commented like, yeah, Thai Thai architecture is really, really nice, and and also interior design is really nice. One of my, you know, maybe if the stereotype like with with say India, right? Like there's a lot of IT people, like engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Thailand is is definitely known for for more some of the architectural and interior design art in fact actually i heard many years ago that warner brothers studios opened a 3d like visual effects like Mm. office in chiang mai because chiang mai has chiang mai university is known for producing great artists you know creative and you know artists who so so there's like probably a, a small Warner Brothers. I always look actually when I when I watch the credits, I always look and there's always usually some Thai names. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of cool. It's like, awesome. oh, there's there's some Thai people doing doing visual effects for 
those companies. So maybe that's kind of my perspective of like, hey, maybe this is where I get some of my design, you know, yeah, and creativity. And, and I mean, I, I would say for me personally, so like maybe for the as the Asian Asian American thing, I think, and I'm sure you can relate. I think we spoke about this when we first met. Where, you know, being our generation, which for the listeners, I'm a first generation American. My parents came to America from the Philippines, and I don't want to stereotype, but I think there's a high likelihood that every first generation Asian American is pushed to either become a doctor or a lawyer, <laughs> right? Is that true for you? Yes. And really what it is, is because it's, it's a very reliable profession. It's a highly respected re profession, especially for, for immigrant, especially for Filipino. I can only speak for Filipino. And, and that's why. Not nursing. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I think. <laughs> I think if if you can't become a doctor, <laughs> you go into nursing. But anything related to medical field is like very respected. And I think where where I bonded with a lot of my Asian American colleagues who are designers was because we kind of had those same pressures to be pushed into those industries, and we kind of rebelled a little bit with our parents and said, "No, you know what." Uh, I want to be an artist or I want to be a designer. And to them, even my dad today, I don't think understands exactly what I do or my mom when, you know, she's since passed, but she would always be like, you're in IT, right? And I was like, no, I'm not an IT, I'm a graphic designer. And she would never, she would just not think about it. Right. Yeah. But Can so she would, relate to more now, now that there's like, there's, you know, she's using a smartphone, I assume. Well, she, yeah, she's, she's passed for a couple of uh, years ago, but, but when there was an article about me in the Tribune as a being profiled as a designer at Basecamp, and it was only then that it was like published in the newspaper that she was like, oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and, uh, just because it was the newspaper, you know? Yeah. But I think, I think there's a lot of, you know, like everyone I meet that's of my generation, that's Asian American in this industry and not just in tech, but design and graphic design. I think we have this similar experience and that's, that's, I think, comforting. And that's how I feel like uh, has influenced me in design is because I want to do better. I want to, I want to kind of prove to, <laughs> to my parents that this is a real thing and I'm good at it. Yeah. This is what, yeah. I, what, this is what I picked to do for, with my life. So, yeah, my, oh, my, my, my funny story. Well, well, you know, just like your parents, they, they pushed me into, I was not going to study law, but maybe initially I was like, maybe I can do medicine. Right. So I, I tried, didn't, didn't go well. So I actually was not born in the US. I went to school in Thailand at times, but with, with Thai University, before you get into medicine, you have to do this little internship where they're like, oh, you, you have to intern at a hospital to make sure that oh. you really want to go into medicine. Okay. 
and then you get randomly assigned to a hospital. And I, I got the worst hospital. It was, it was very sort of like at the edge of, of Bangkok in the outskirts. So like people are a little more uneducated, shall we say. Okay. And, and so like, this is my first day was like this. Somebody came in and they had a pus like the size of a tennis ball that they basically waited for oh, so long. Wow. And so the doctor, the, the ER, they had to cut it open and it just, the whole room smelled and all this oh, no. stuff. That was, so that was like my day. first. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then I think in the same day, a guy came in with a, a gunshot wound to the leg, but oh, it wasn't, wow. it, was, it wasn't fresh. Again, people waited. <laughs> wow. They're like, well, <laughs> you know? maybe this will fix itself. Right. They didn't. Yeah. And so, so after I lasted like two days and I was like, dad, I, I, I can't do medicine. This is gross. <laughs> well, how, what did they, what did they expect you to do as an intern? Kind of help out, right? Like you, you help out and you, you kind of last, you, you complete that and, and then you can apply for medicine. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 My, my cousin got assigned to like pediatrics. So like he swaddled babies and stuff. So oh, he had that's a great, easy. you know, easy. Right. And then he became a great doctor. He's, you know, he's a vascular okay. surgeon right now. Wow. Really proud of him. It's kind of, it's funny. It's like, you know, like it's like a Marvel multiverse thing. Like you kind of <laughs> landed, you landed in this branch timeline where right. if you had like a good experience maybe we wouldn't even be talking now right right he got yeah. eased into it right like his first experience in medicine was like oh this is great i can do medicine i was like mine was like so bad yeah it was yeah. bloody it was like smelly it was er it was right you know it's like i want nothing to do with this my first experience was freshman year i failed chemistry and <laughs> i was like i don't think i can do this and i've always been into art when i was in high school so yeah yeah. I didn't know that you can have a profession as an artist, yeah. but here I am. So my, my parents also didn't understand the field that I was in my, my father, you know, like parents of our generation didn't grow up with computers. Right. right and then right. by the time computers entered into my dad's kind of atmosphere, right. He, he was in a high enough position where he had like a secretary. So he, and he never, you know, it was always like, if he had to sign something, it was printed. He had to read something. It was printed. He was never at the computer. Right. Right. And he, he didn't, doesn't even know how to type and stuff, but, uh, but Peck, you're like at a higher level than me because you're an entrepreneur. So you're like a business person. Well, I think we just chose different paths. I don't know if it's higher, good or better or worse. It's just a different path. I mean, you, you got to, you know, one of the things that I wish I maybe could have done was you know, spend time with entrepreneurs I admired and, and you got to be very close with, you know, you work directly with, with Jason and David. And, and that's something that, you know, I wish I had, you know, in a different timeline, let's say, you know, what oh. if scenario I would have wanted to work at, at some of this, just to kind of see what it's like to, to work with some of these people I admire. Yeah. I've, I've been fortunate in my career. Like, like I said, at Crane Barrel, when I was there, the, the CEO was still the founder of the company, right? And it was pretty cool to like just hang out, you know, like be in the meetings with them and he knew me by name. And so, yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I think you can exert a lot of influence like when you, you know, are around people like that and 
and they're looking for partners too, right? Like we're, we're talking about partnering, you know, Gordon Siegel, who was the CEO of, of Crane Barrel, was look, looking for a design partnership and you're the expert, right? Like anyway. Well, you know, and I think when people in careers who are listening and thinking to choose one way or the other, I've also worked at big companies. Uh, like I worked at Accenture mm. and, and one time, you know, I looked at the org chart and I counted how many steps I was removed but from the CEO. Or to be partner, your partner, but that doesn't really mean anything or, you know. Well, I wasn't a partner. I mean, I was a lowly software engineer at Accenture, but there were, I counted 13 levels between oh, me wow. and the CEO. Like wow. That's how far removed it was right, from, right. from kind of his, his sphere of influence. So I ended up the job after that, I, I joined a smaller consulting firm. At the time, I think they were either 75 or 150 people, but it was still small enough. And actually the CEO had heard through, through somebody else who, who joined and he wanted me to join. And actually at the time I thought, you know, this be kind of cool. And I wanted to learn more business skills, you know, because as an engineer, one of my conditions was like, I wanted to be able to spend time with him, like the CEO who was recruiting me. Right, right. And, you know, he had said, oh yeah, you're welcome into my office anytime. And that was why I left Accenture nice. was, I was, you know, I had access instead of like being 13 levels between it. I was going to now be able to just, and, and he, he lived up to that every time I just knocked on his, you know, saw him wasn't doing anything. I knocked on the door and like, Hey, I want to talk. And what are you up to? And I'm just trying to learn more about the business of agency and consulting and yeah, no, what he's up to, what his priorities were. And yeah, that's really, I think, you know, for your audience, I think there's pros and cons to every different setup that, you have and i think finding what's right for you at the time and it could change right as you get older it could change like for me the situation was uh, i got to a point where i rose so high up there that i wasn't even doing design anymore and that was like not what i wanted to do so i had to make a change and yeah. but for some people that might be what they want to do you know so yeah I mean, to, to the point of, of, you know, stability for, for the parents, what the parents want, the, the day I got the job offer at Accenture was one of my dad's, you know, happiest moments in his life, right? Oh, hey, yeah, his, yeah. his son has found stability. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. He's yeah. heard of it. And then, exactly. also, and when I left also one of the saddest days, like, why are you leaving? And yeah. you what is this small? For 50 years, for 40 right. years. Right, right. And then, you know, when I struck out on my own, that was also a, maybe a freak out moment. Like, are you sure this is, this is crazy. And oh, that's, that's really, I mean, for my parents, that would be, you're like the dream son. What <laughs> yeah. start? No, I mean, I would give them headaches. Like, what are you doing starting your own company? <laughs> you know, like, uh, and, and I was, I didn't quite get to finish my story, but like, you know, computers in his mind because he never worked with them. He didn't really understand them and what they mm. were for. Mm -hmm. But at the time they broke all the time and they, people had to come in. It's like, so in his mind, like computers just always break and people who work with computers basically fix computers. Yeah. Like you were probably like the best Buy geek squad or something. Right. Right. In his yeah. mind it was like, Oh, when I was like, 
yo, you want to go into computers? It's like, oh, you want to fix computers? Right, right, right. <laughs> it's like similar to what my mom was like, oh, you're in IT. Right, right. And when I wanted to start my own company, it was like, oh, so you want to open a shop to fix computers? <laughs> <laughs> That's but, funny. But, you know, I think they came around, like my mom started having an iPad, right? And she right, saw sure. software. And these are real and things. Like, and I was like, like oh, hey. when we got the client, like Google, and she uses Google, it's like, oh, right. okay, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, interesting times. Interesting times. Like, it's like explaining explaining your job to, to your parents. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. Uh, it's been so wonderful to talk to you and and reconnect with you and and also to learn that you worked on on that that homepage design that i i so admired many years ago oh That's wow like... <laughs> thank you I'm flattered it's uh, yeah i'm glad that you that you liked it yeah yeah and I, hopefully I, you know hopefully we haven't meandered like all over this was like chock full of various topics that i don't even know is relevant to to the podcast but uh, no, it's. I think there was a lot of design tips and, and a lot of design perspectives. If anything, you know, being a smaller company, I think more people will be able to relate because not every company operates at Netflix scale or YouTube right. scale or Google scale, right? It's like we don't have hundreds of designers, right? And you know, if if you ever want to chat again about stuff, I'm always yeah. here so how, how does uh one get a hold of jamie just from email jamie <laughs> at basecamp.com there you go yeah email me. yeah and i'm on twitter as asian mac but i don't really tweet about anything in particular <laughs> just i run a lot so i might be favoriting a lot of like running running stuff like marathon stuff and but you can find me on there okay so. asian mac uh, on twitter yeah and instagram and so. instagram well, thank you so much, Jamie. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Beck. And hopefully we can get together uh, soon in real yeah. life. Let's, let's do it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guests and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.